If you are recovering from a catastrophic injury or a chronic illness, then not surprisingly, the focus is mostly about the health care that you receive, the medical treatment. But what about where you're staying, where you sleep or do your rehabilitation? When it comes to recovery, what role does the design of the environment, the building itself, play? Well, according to Heidi Munchberger, it's crucial when it comes to aiding health and healing after injury or illness. It's all connected. Heidi is the Associate Professor of Healthy Design at the Centre for Community Science at Griffith Health Institute. So Heidi, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Fenella. Now, Heidi, anybody who has been unwell knows just how important the physical environment can be when it comes to getting better, but you focus specifically on severe injury or chronic illness. Can you tell me a bit about this? The reason that we focus on that is that people with catastrophic injury, say brain injury, spinal cord injury, have the most to gain from good environments. So if we think about global disease, so the World Health Organization would say that a third of global disease burden is attributed to factors around us rather than within us, stands to reason that the way we recover from very serious injury needs to also involve where we recover. And so when you say things such as good environments or healing environments, I mean, this is more than simply, you know, a nice room with windows and pretty pictures on the wall, isn't it? What are we talking about yeah. here? I mean, they're all important things, but we can be doing so much more around the physical and social structures of these healthcare settings. If we look at the, the hospital design, and that's come a long way in the last 20 years, but hospitals are not where health will happen in the future. It will happen in very specialised smaller settings for people to recover and also in the home. So we need to think about the physical layout of things, so access to natural light, the social spaces to enable connection, uh, things like noise and heat and and how that might affect uh, someone who's recovering, and also the scale of the buildings, the hallways, the walkability of those buildings to facilitate therapy. So the way we've considered therapy in, in these populations before is in, in a very passive way. You know, someone will see a, a physiotherapist and an OT, an occupational therapist and a speech therapist, but they actually won't have any greater enrichment from, say, the natural environment and, and you know, what can we do with that? And they won't have that enriched sense of what therapy can provide. Okay, so this is, as you say, it's beyond the hospital environment. It, mm. It's in places of rehabilitation, whether it's a specific location yeah. or in the home as well. What are some of the, the key ideas then that you have or, or are implementing to transform what seems like, I mean, this, these are areas where, as you say, there has been many, many studies before mm. about the health care and, and our environment as well, but you're taking it to an, a, a different step, a different level. Yeah, look, it was Florence Nightingale who first said in uh, 1859 that suffering considered from illness is not from the person. It's actually the want of fresh air, the need for light or warmth or quiet. So, you know, it's been a long time coming that our approach is in this area. But what I'm really focused on is innovative design. So how, how can we borrow from things like adult play, for instance? So the ludic concept of design, how do we make therapy fun? 
God forbid, that it could actually be fun. How do we borrow from children's learning? I mean, if, if we have the principle in life of everyone can learn, change and grow, well, what does that mean for someone with brain injury? It's not a permanent disability or, or necessarily. It can actually be a life-changing moment, life-altering, but in a good way too. You know, there's, there's a lot of positive things that can come from something like that in your life. Okay. Talk to me a bit more about ludic design, as you say, places that are for play or designed for play and mm. an extension of how children play as well. This idea that this could be applied to adults, it, it seems pretty simple, but what a great thing. Well, it is simple. I mean, and this is the whole beauty of this work is that there's some very economical ways that we can change uh, health delivery without spending a lot of money, but just more innovation and, and different thinking. So it's a bit like when you, you have an improvement in your physical health, that doesn't happen without a change in your approach to food and and exercise. So the same thing needs to happen that physical design needs to be changed in parallel with the social construction of these places. So if we think about going back to your question of how do children function best in learning environments, well if you look at uh, Europe there's a lot of uh, capacity in those places for children to socialise. A lot of places for the parents to also get together. Ludic design is, is all about stop thinking about illness and therapy and start thinking about wellness and full living. So the ways that we look at adult playgrounds, I mean, has that got something to offer healthcare and, and rehabilitation? And I think it does. What, um, what's an adult playground? Describe mm. one for me. What's the design like? Well, there's a lot of, I think we haven't actually got, to my knowledge, one in uh, Australia in, in this sense, you know, we're looking at specialised populations. But if, if you look at Europe, for instance, there's a lot of physical uh, gym equipment outside. The gardens are much more interactive, so it's not just a space to sit and look but it's a space to press buttons that interact with water that can attract certain uh, animals into the space. It's all sorts of different ways of thinking. So I don't know if you've seen that YouTube video of people climbing the stairs and, and some designers put a piano keyboard up the stairs that made music. So every time people <laughs> stepped up the stairs, they made music like a piano. And they started using that. Um, stairway much more than they were using the the elevator. So, you know, there's some very simple ways that we need to reconstruct our environments to interact with it. On By Design, my guest is Associate Professor of Healthy Design, Heidi Munchberger from the Centre for Community Science at Griffith Health Institute. And we're talking about the focus of healthcare, but also the redesign of spaces, a building, an environment to aid in the recovery from a catastrophic injury or a chronic illness. And Heidi, you, you, you've talked a little bit about this already, this idea that there, there are different approaches, one of course being the physical approach, and that is the scale of the building and walkability, etc. But there's also the approach of redesigning our approach to healthcare. Can you unpack that a bit for me, please? Well, the social design, or I guess the, the new approach to healthcare is one that's very uh, person-centred. So there's a lot of terminology around, um, particularly at the moment for people with disabilities, around how do we make healthcare and support much more personalised and individualised. So that means for health settings to decentralise our health settings. Uh, to provide a, a wellness um, health promotion approach where you know health is, is not just the absence of disease but a recognition that it's presence of, of good living and good health. When we put those concepts onto healthcare settings, we look at a very different model. We look at something where the patient is no longer incapable of doing things for themselves but they have 
you know, much more of a role in choice and, and making some decisions about their health delivery. Because normally what happens is you have a doctor, they tell you what you need and you simply follow that set of instructions or that's how it goes for your recovery. Is that right? So this is a totally different way of thinking about your, your wellness, your future wellness. Yeah, I mean, this is not to say that um, the medical model doesn't apply in healthcare. Of course it does. But I'm talking more about those post-acute settings where the environment has much more of a role to play than it ever has and uh, making things much more enriched. So when we think of enriched environments for people uh, in therapy, one of my PhD students, Jacinta Colley, is doing some lovely work around the treatment environment has to feel novel for people. There's nothing worse than going into your 110th physiotherapy (laughs) session and coming out feeling pretty much the same. There's ways of thinking about how people can experience that sense of novelty or fun But also on a voluntary basis, uh, whoever thought that therapy could be voluntary, it's always uh, imposed upon us. But if we look at some of the scientific studies in in rats and rodents, uh, some environmental enrichment principles can really apply uh, to a human population. And that is providing multiple sources of stimuli at any single point in time, engaging a group of people rather than an individual in in this sort of uh, therapeutic approach, and then having access to things that are fun and novel, like an outdoor area that is specifically catering for people with cognitive disability and, and, and mental illness. Okay. Um, Heidi, could we go back then to the physical space? And I know you've touched on it already in talking about the scale of buildings, the architecture, the design, the the wayfinding in, in a location. Why is the rethink of this so important? Well, I think it's important for people with cognitive disabilities specifically. So we, we could think about, uh, say, the aged care settings where you have a high proportion of people with cognitive disability and, and even dementia and people with mental illness. There's a lot of uh, health issues, I guess, around you know how much noise someone can cope with in that environment, how much the environment needs to provide them with structure when they have none themselves. So you're almost looking at a, an environment that is a frontal lobe for people when their own frontal lobe is compromised. You want, therefore, to be able to provide you know, more tactile materials rather than cold steel and maybe you know, more wood, much more sensory materials that in- enable someone's interaction with it. Circular arrangements of rooms uh, around nursing pods create more social interaction. I mean, things like that that, that are, are really basic changes but can be made before a building actually gets built. Certainly. Heidi Munchberger, thank you so much for your time here on By Design. Great to speak with you. You're welcome. Thanks, Vanilla. And that is Heidi Munchberger. She's the Associate Professor of Healthy Design from the Centre for Community Science at Griffith Health Institute. And you can find some info, of course, on By Design's website. Well, coming up next, one for you if you love your motorcycles. We catch a ride on a Harley Davidson.